0: Please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open your copy of the Word of God to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, as we look at some beautiful verses, verses 9 through 18, that at the outset of this book present the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate at Easter. Risen Christ. In fact, this text, a good summary of it would be Easter is the risen Christ in all of his glory for our salvation. Easter is the risen Christ in all of his glory for our salvation. I want you to notice this morning, this passage falls in three. Very easy to identify movements. We have John's situation or description of it in verses nine through eleven, and then secondly, in verses twelve through sixteen, we have John's vision as he turns from hearing a voice and he sees the glorified Christ. And then finally, in the last two verses of the passage, is basically my text for this morning. Christ speaks and Christ acts and demonstrates the glory of himself as the risen Savior. Join me in prayer as we consider these verses this morning on this Easter Sunday morning, 2022. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, we desire to see Jesus in him only. Forgive the preacher for his sins were many. Help every one of us to have an encounter with you through your word, by the power of your spirit, as we consider this Easter Sunday morning. Be glorified and magnified in all that takes place in the preaching of your word, Lord. We make our prayer humbly in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice John's situation in verses 9 through 11. The Apostle John begins by describing himself as a fellow partaker, a brother in Christ and a fellow partaker in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance which are in Jesus. At this point, Christ is glorified and John recognizes that we as Christians are heading for an eternal kingdom. But along the way, John also points out that there is tribulation and perseverance. In other words, the Christian will suffer. And by God's grace, the Christian will persevere. There will always be suffering and the need for perseverance for those who partake of Christ and his kingdom. This was common for all Christians, and it was foretold by the Lord Jesus himself in John 16.33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love the words of John or James Hamilton in connection to this. Unlike the Roman Empire, which promised peace but delivered brutality and fear, the kingdom of God promises tribulation and delivers peace and confidence and eternal salvation to those who patiently endure. Thankfully, we Christians suffer not in our own strength, and we persevere not in our own strength, but by God's grace that he has shown us his kindness in electing us to salvation. The Bible says here in John's situation, he's on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John has been banished to this lonely island where he will spend the rest of his days because he suffered for bearing witness to Christ, for being a disciple, but also for the Word of God. John bore testimony to Christ in his life, and he stood and preached and taught God's Word, and so he finds himself on this deserted island alone. And yet, the Lord always has a way of turning bad circumstances for his glory and our benefit, because it was on this island where John had peace and quiet in order to write the very things, the complicated, some complicated things that the Lord Jesus would give to him that make up the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says it was the Lord's Day. That is the first day of the week. Resurrection Sunday, as we call it today. And John hears a loud voice telling him to write in a book what he sees and to send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches appear in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so that is John's situation. But I want you to notice now his vision, secondly, in verses 12 through 16. John turns and sees seven golden lampstands. And he begins to describe the Lord Jesus as he sees him standing in the middle of the lampstands. First in verse 13a, he says, I saw one like the Son of Man. This is a familiar title that goes all the way back to Daniel 7:13 where the Ancient of Days is described. And several times over, in that verse and passage, he is described as the Son of Man. Of course, Jesus was the eternal Son of God, but he was also, and many times called himself, the Son of Man, because there was always equality between his deity and his humanity. And the full humanity of Christ and the full deity was present, somehow mysteriously when Christ died on the cross, when he was buried and when he rose again. He says he has a long robe and a golden sash in verse 13b. These items, the robe and the sash, link him to the appearance of the high priest of Israel in Exodus 39, verses 2 through 4. The clothing symbolizes his ongoing work of representing his people before the Father. You know that Jesus Christ bodily is at the right hand of the Father. And he prays for you constantly. He never stops. And for all of his children. John goes on in verse 14a to say, His head and his hair were white like wool. You know, in the ancient world, and according to Proverbs 1631, white hair symbolized respected dignity for age and the wisdom that older folks typically have for those who are younger. So this is a picture of the infinite wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. As Colossians makes clear, all the wisdom of God resides in the eternal Son of God. He goes on in the latter part of verse 14 to say, His eyes are like a flame of fire. This demonstrates the omniscience of Jesus Christ. He knows all and he sees all. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing is unknown to him. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, all things are open and laid bare before the eyes with him with whom we have to do. The Lord Jesus one day will right every wrong. He will correct every injustice. He will see to it that those who hid in secret and did evil will be exposed. And our lives will be exposed as well and the truth of the matter of our allegiance and devotion to him will be known, or the lack thereof will be exposed. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And then in verse 15, it says, His feet were like burnished bronze. This is the picture of a powerful king who has so subdued his enemies that they are nothing more than the king's footstool, as Psalm 2 states. These powerful feet of Jesus point to his ultimate triumph over all the forces of evil, natural and supernatural alike. In the latter part of verse 15, his voice was like the sound of many waters. Ezekiel 43, verse 2 describes the awesome voice of God. It is like any other. In verse 10, Jesus' voice was compared to a trumpet that could not be ignored. How do you ignore a trumpet when it goes off? No, it cannot be ignored, and that is the way that the voice of the Lord Jesus is. His voice is compared to the sound also of rushing waters, which also cannot be ignored. There's something about the Lord Jesus, His words, and the Word of God, sacred Scripture, that cannot be ignored. We may forsake it, we may reject it, but we can't ignore it as it eats at our conscience. John goes on to say in 16a, his right hand held seven stars. We learn later on in verses 19 and 20 that these stars represent the angels of the seven churches. What a beautiful picture. The Christ Church, every one of them, has an angel who is carrying out divine commerce inside of that church. It also points us to the fact that Christ sustains His church. You start to see the greatness of God here. The Bible makes it clear in Isaiah 40 that the Lord God measured out the heavens with the span of His hand. The span of His hand. And here He holds not only the churches, but also the angels in the palm of His right hand. And you'll notice at the end of verse 16, a sharp, double-edged sword comes out of his mouth. The sword is a weapon of offense and points to the decisive action against those who oppose the will of the Lord Jesus. This is a colorful way to say that Jesus will speak decisive words of judgment when he returns. And then finally, in verse 16c, John says his face was like the sun shining in its strength. It points to the full deity of the Lord Jesus. You know, in Matthew 17, verse 2, Jesus' face shone like the sun in his transfiguration. And the Jesus that John saw, both on the Mount of Transfiguration and on the island of Patmos, is none other than Almighty God. You can't look at the sun for a long period of time, you'll burn your eyes. God cannot be seen. Because he's too holy. And yet, we have seen him, John says, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. And so John sees this incredible sight. The Son of Man, the long robe, the golden sash, his hair like wool, his eyes like fire, his feet like bronze, his voice like the water's huge right hand holding up the churches, the seven angels of those churches. His face shining like light and a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Let me point out one thing, too, just an observation. You know, in these chapters, John presents a stunning contrast between the risen, glorified Christ, and then later in chapters two and three, the pitiful state of the unimpressive state of his churches. They're struggling with sin. They're struggling with difficulties. They're persecuted. They're oppressed. They're dealing with their own shortfalls. And yet the Lord Jesus is glorified. You know, a lot of people are unimpressed by Christ's church. I don't know how many people that go to church and say, well, I didn't like the music, or I didn't like this or that, or the preaching was dull, or You know, the sermon was too long, and the air conditioning wasn't low enough. And they go on and on and on, and Christ's church often can be very unimpressive. But I remind you that the Lord Jesus is in his glorified state now. And when he was before this, he was in a humble state. Jesus Christ was not impressive in worldly standards. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death even death on a cross. Humility always comes before exaltation. And as weak as the church of Jesus Christ may appear, one day it will be cleansed, one day it won't lack volunteers anymore, one day it'll be glorified as the scaffolding falls off and she is presented in all of her glory. Christ is exalted and he's waiting to the right time to come and get his church so that she will be exalted forever. I want you to notice John falls here. He falls down. Look at verse 17. John's reaction to the vision of the exalted Christ is similar to that of Isaiah and Ezekiel. Whenever they had visions, various visions of God, they fell down like dead men. It was a frightening sight. But then, You see the actions and the words of the risen Christ. And this is my text for this morning. All the rest is in the way of introduction. I want you to notice four specific phrases in verses 17 and 18. And these phrases demonstrate four characteristics of the risen and glorified Lord Jesus that I'd like you to remember this Easter Sunday morning. First of all, his intimacy. His intimacy. Look at verse 16. John falls down like a dead man, and Jesus places his right hand on him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We see the Lord Jesus acting here. This is a beautiful picture. You know, we just read in verse 16 that the right hand of Jesus is holding the stars of heaven, the angels. But here it says, the right hand, he puts it on John, and he says, don't be afraid. Now, some well-meaning and greatly mistaken scholars say, here's a contradiction. Oh, no. Oh, no. What John is presenting, what Jesus is demonstrating is that The Lord God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ, the transcendent God, became eminent, and Christ has his whole church in his hand corporately, but he reaches down to every single individual. You see the intimacy there. His compassion, his comfort, after this incredible vision. And the Lord Jesus reaches down and touches his servant John. It says, don't be afraid. That's something we heard in the Gospels over and over again. Whenever Jesus would heal somebody, whenever a father came with a daughter that was dying, don't be afraid. Whenever the widow at Nain and her son was being carried out, don't cry. Over and over again, the Lord Jesus would confront the conditions that ultimately sin brought about in death and blindness and pain, and disease, and the Lord Jesus would touch. He would speak. Sometimes he would heal at a distance. But he was always concerned about the individual. Let me challenge you with those words this morning. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, he can say to you in whatever situation you're in, don't be afraid. Are you suffering from a disease? Don't be afraid. Afraid? Are you suffering from loneliness and relational tragedy? Don't be afraid. Are you looking at an uncertain future? Perhaps without a loved one, don't be afraid. Are you looking at a disease that you deal with and ultimately may end your life? Jesus says, don't be afraid. And he puts his hand on you and all of your concerns. Just like he did, the Apostle John. The Lord Jesus has a close association and a deep understanding of everything in your life. And because he has risen from the grave and at the right hand of the Father, he says, do not fear. Whatever your situation is this morning, that's his intimacy. Notice, secondly, his deity. He goes on to say, I am the first and the last, the living one. The first and the last means very much the same as I am the Alpha and the Omega, which God Almighty uses in verse 8. It's another application of divine terms for Christ. He is the living God. And he says, I am first and I am last and the living one. That is, Christ is eternal. He has no beginning, he has no ending. And because of his resurrection, he gives eternal life to all those who put their faith and trust in him and turn from their sin. This is a declaration from Jesus that he is the Lord God Almighty. And there is no way to be pleasing to God without faith in Jesus. He made it clear in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as one of the apostles said in Acts 4, there is salvation in no other name under heaven. I saw an article the other day from somebody I'm very fond of. And this person wrote in the article about a man, he quoted a man saying that all roads lead to the same place. And it breaks my heart to see that kind of attitude and thinking because that is a lie from hell. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the true God of the universe, and that is through faith in his Son. And to glorify the Father, to be in good with the Father, you must go through the Son. That's why he's saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, his intimacy, his deity, then his humanity. Look at the next phrase. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The Lord Jesus, is it's true, has no ending, no beginning. He is transcendent. But this transcendent one became imminent and close to us, and he lived a perfect life for 33 years. This verse communicates that Christ lived and died and rose again. It is the heart of Easter. That Jesus is alive right now and he is alive forevermore at the right hand of the Father. And we will rise from the grave because of Christ's resurrection. Did you notice that last verse, verse 19 in Isaiah 26 this morning? Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is as the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. That is the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the really amazing thing is that we spend a lifetime in this life dying—not physically, dying spiritually, dying to ourselves. As John Calvin said, the heart of Christianity is self-denial. As we identify with Christ in His passion and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the more we die to ourselves, ironically, the more we come alive in Jesus Christ until the day that we die to go to be with him or he returns to take us to himself. Christ's humanity is precious. And he was always human. You know, there's some heresies that teach that Jesus was the divine human son of God and somehow on the cross, Deity left him? No. Human explanations will always be insufficient when it comes to the mysteries of the kingdom of God and the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he was always human, always divine, 100% both. And that's why he secured such a great salvation. Well, his intimacy, his deity, his humanity, finally his authority, You'll notice at the end of verse 18, Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has the ultimate authority, the ultimate say. To save and to judge. You know, Hades is a place in the Bible for departed spirits, according to Acts 2, 27 and 31. The NIV translates as the grave. He symbolized Christ's authority over life and death. He has the power to send people to an eternal death, as Revelation 20 says, the lake of fire. But he also has the power to save them from that death and to give them eternal life. As Revelation 20 speaks of the book of life, where everyone who is trusted in the Lord Jesus and not themselves, And not anyone else, but in the Lord Jesus, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, the Bible makes it clear they've been written there from the beginning of time and before that, from all of eternity. So as we look at the end of this passage, the question comes, do you know the risen Lord Jesus? Is he in your heart? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Do you sense his intimacy and comfort in your life? Do you bow the knee at him concerning his deity? Do you recognize he's always available when you pray? Because he knows your struggles and difficulties. He wants to be close to you because of his humanity. And as you recognize his authority, your very next breath comes at the pleasure of Almighty God. Doesn't it make sense to acknowledge this God and His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you can live without the fear of death? And you can live without the fear of adverse circumstances in your life. In fact, whenever those things come, you can enjoy a greater degree of fellowship with Christ. Because of His Spirit resident inside of your heart. Is your name in the book of life? If not... I invite you to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. Ask him to come into your life, your heart. Trust him alone as he paid the penalty for your sins. And his resurrection demonstrates that death and sin no longer have a hold for the one who puts his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ alone. Why don't you do that this day? This will be the first real Easter you've ever enjoyed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the number of passages that present the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we celebrate today with hearts of joy, knowing that our future is secure, and that our lives right now can have peace, as Isaiah 26 says. Help us to keep our minds fixed on Thee, O risen Christ. May we drink deeply of Your presence. May we feast on Your body spiritually. May You sustain us in the days ahead as they get darker. Help us, Lord, to walk joyfully in the light and intimately with You as You address every concern that we have. Lord, save those who are lost, disciple the saved, Get all the glory for what you will do, working in our hearts and lives, through your word. And we make our prayer confidently in Jesus' name. Amen.